You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 129 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. We are continuing our free download of the ebooks, and today I've linked the ultimate guide to subcontract tendering ebook, which is an ebook I wrote a few months or years ago. I can't really remember. It talks about how main contractors can procure and tender better. I think a lot of you can do a lot better, and I talked a, a lot on this podcast about the different steps, pricing documents, scopes, etc. We've talked to subcontractors about how to communicate. And if you are tendering right now, I think you should go and download it and just check it out. Let me know what you think. Anyway, on to today's show. Today, we're welcoming back Kian Brennan, who is Managing Director at Quantum Contract Solutions, a company giving contractual superpowers to construction companies, which I absolutely love. And Kian was on the show in for episode 115. It was a really, really popular episode. So I thought I would welcome him back. Today, we're going to be focusing on two real life examples that Ian's clients have gone through. And if it's as good as last time, it's going to be a cracker. So welcome back to the show. Welcome to Own the Build, Kian. How are you doing? I'm very good, Paul. And yourself? Not too bad, mate. Always happy to be talking about contractual and commercial topics because I'm so I think you're the same as me, mate. Yes, I think you quite enjoy it as well. Being from to ear. We were just talking before we jumped on the call about uh, jumping on with like one of my favorite things is jumping on with a client who is in trouble. And I'm like, you know, it's not code a good situation. Yeah, color red. It's not a good situation. So I, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, how do you describe it? It's kind of like a, you know, a fight on a football pitch, right? Everyone's like, oh no, that's not a good thing. But at the same time, it's quite, it's quite enjoyable you to enjoy watch, it. right? <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, I like I like it because I like solving the problem. It's not a good situation, but I get really like getting stuck into it. And who doesn't like a war story at the end of the day? Exactly, exactly. No, I'm I'm completely with you. I think that might also be why I enjoy having these conversations so much, where we took where you almost put yourself in that position. You're thinking, what would you do? And I can imagine when your phone rings, you're almost half happy half excited at the prospect of solving the issue but before we jump into the topics today Mm -hmm. just remind our listeners and our new listeners who you are and what you do uh, in construction okay so my name is kian brennan i'm the ceo of a company called quantum contract solutions uh another podcast host another podcast um like paul's but by war stories and uh, called Construction Secrets. Um, and as a company, what we do <coughs> is, you know, very, very simply in construction, you know how as as you go down the line from owner to main contractor or general contractor to subcontractor, they push the risk down the way. And what ultimately happens is the worst contract in the whole chain goes to the subcontractor. And the subcontractor typically doesn't have in-house capabilities, the expertise, or the resources to one, understand how to negotiate the contract, and two, able to manage the contract. So typically, mm-hmm. they'll review the contracts themselves, they might have a contracts administrator with limited experience. And in the post award space, they'll have a project manager who as a side hustle to his regular job does some contract stuff, Yeah, which ultimately, that scenario leads to subcontractors losing money, going out of business. 
and it's our mission as as a as a company to essentially change the industry in that you can get now get access to top top level advice and help and systems um for a monthly retainer that's it to give uh subcontractors or contractors contractual superpowers right that's that's how you're changing it you want to embolden lower down the chain to fight back in inverted commas but let me ask you a question i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure i remember the answer to this very simple question for you mm-hmm. your background kian is you were a main contractor right I, I was client, yeah. I was client side main contractor, and I was cons- I was a consultant, a director in a I won't say the name now, but a, a very well known cost and contract management consultancy. Okay. Um, and so our job was to go in to large organisations and put systems in place to essentially, and I'm not going to say this is it, put systems in place to essentially not pay subcontractors. Really? So that I mean, you've segued me perfectly into what I was just about to say. Because throughout this, guys, you're going to listen to Kid and you think, oh, he's such a good guy defending subcontractors. I'm the subcontractor. That's my background. Kid was a mean, mean uh, main contractor QS, client QS, who has now found a better way to live his life. <laughs> Is that fair to say, Kid? That's fair to say. That's fair. <laughs> I, and ultimately, over time, you know, my granddad was a, a construction, uh, he was a contractor, he was a subcontractor. And eventually a time came where i'm like you know what i'm just putting people out of business here and yeah. i just don't like doing this and the, the the ultimate thing is whether you like it or not and i know paul you agree with this there's a mm. game being played here a contractual yes. game and even if you don't want to play the game the game is happening you will just play and lose automatically because you're not playing so if you choose to yeah. ignore it then at your peril but the game is playing so we just want to show you know, there's larger organizations. Does if you understand how the larger organizations work, you can use that information to make sure that you get paid. And ultimately, that's what you want to do. The, the, you're I wholeheartedly agree. You, most people, most construction companies say, "I'm in construction," and that is, in my view, incorrect. That means that you just deliver something, you supply something. Mm-hmm. My view is you're actually in the business of construction, which has two parts. One is delivery, and you deliver your product, your service, whatever it is, but other half is getting paid for it, the business side of it. And so contracts and the commercial acumen is all about the money side of construction. Completely and utterly agree with you. And uh, that sets us up very nicely, Kian. for... I'm already enjoying this conversation. They're always good. That sets us up very nicely to lead me in now to the first game. In the first half, we're going to play game one, right? And you recently talked to me about a client of yours, or you recently talked on your show about a client of yours who got into a really sticky situation concerning variations, changes to the scope, etc. Now, the I'm going to ask you to uh, explain this more yourself, but as I understand it, the client side QS or, or the PM, the opposing PM, suggested not to issue variations and EOTs individually for changes and events that happened. And they instead suggested to wrap it up into one single agreement rather than having lots of different agreements. And as soon as I heard this, and this where the story goes isn't actually where I expected it to go, but as soon as I heard this, I, alarm bells started to go off. And I thought, using your game analogy, this is a game that I have been asked to partake in many times so just explain what happened okay so there was a civil company on a on a major project with uh, a well-known tier one contractor so well-known main contractor 
Mm-hmm. And like most companies, you know, they want to do a very good job. They they want to go out there. They want to perform for their client. They also want to get paid. And they came to me with a, what I can only describe as a huge problem. Like so huge... when they called, was it a code red or was it a code triple red? <laughs> it was code Brian, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they rang me up. They they told me all of the issues. It took a long time to get through the whole the whole discussion, but they were on site with a PM, and their PMs they're working with their PM, and their PM said to them, "Hey guys, look, there's all these different changes that I've asked you to do." And all of these different delays that we've had. And look, can we just hold off on submitting all of those? And then what I want you to do is submit them all into one big variation. And I'll approve them all in one big go. Okay. I'm it's scared same, right now. It's the same as you. I'm I'm, I'm sweating. I'm, I'm like, oh, no. I know exactly where this is going. And so they did that. And they wrapped it up. And what happened was the PM approved it. And not only that, they got paid the money in full. And I think it was on account, on account, which is important, which was one point something million dollars. They got paid in this this, uh, additional amount. And so great. Sounds good. Now, we often talk about relationships um, in construction, how important relationships are. And sometimes what, what people don't realize is relationships go missing. It's not that relationships break down. People leave, people go. Mm. And so what often happens in these large companies is they bring in what's called a closeout team. The closeout team, Mm. the PM that is there, he gets pulled out, he gets put on a different job. They're usually quite mean. It's my experience of closeout They are mean. They're closeout. (laughs) So they come in and they go, oh, I don't care, you know, what sort of agreements you had with Tom, Dick and Harry. You, I don't know, I can't rely on that. We just have to rely on the contract. And so that's their job. Their, their job really is to come in and save money. And these larger mm-hmm. organizations, so main contractors generally are finance companies. They call themselves construction companies, but they're not really their finance company. They make money by winning a project. The bigger guys, right? Yeah, winning a project, getting finance, and they make uh, subcontracting out to work, and they make money on the delta. Right. So everyone does that, not just the big, the big guys. So most, most main contractors will do that, contractors. And so towards the end of a project, they need to save money. So they bring in these teams to save out money, to save money. Mm. So these teams come, come around. And in this scenario, the closeout guy came in and he rang up this company, the super company, and they said, okay, uh, sorry, it was a letter. It wasn't even as courteous as a, as a phone call. It was a letter. And the letter said, um, having reviewed this variation, the $1.5 million variation, two things I'd like to let you know. One is, reminder, that is payment on account. Okay, mm-hmm. so for those of you know that, that don't know what payment on account is, money can transfer over and back. It's given to you, but I can also take it back, essentially. Yeah. And so, uh, or we can offset this amount versus that amount, is, which is why they kind of want to do it. Reminder, it's payment on account. Second thing is, we reviewed the variation, and we've noticed that the variation was approved in error, in that, you didn't submit your notices when the, uh, the changes took place and you didn't submit your notices when the delays took place. And mm. so you should have submitted your notices and your variations for those specific <clears throat> things at that specific time. You didn't yeah. do that. And therefore you're time barred, which means you're not entitled to be paid that money. 
which means that that 1.1 or whatever million dollars was paid in error. And we've noticed that you submit your final pay account, which is $1.5 million. And we're going to give you 400 grand because we're going to offset the $1.1 million against it. Okay. And horrible, they also, horrible, horrible stuff, isn't it? Ho- horrible, yeah. horrible stuff. And they also did mention liquidated damages as well. That's, I was going to say, that's the thing, right? Not only did you not get your variations in and the time impact associated to that, but hang on a minute. You've never put in a notice of delay and you're actually three months late and LADs are whatever. So like it it all starts to unravel. Before we get to what you did or what the your client did, just going back to what you said at the top of the show, really, about you went into an organization and set up a structure. This is way back in your career, far before mm-hmm. quantum, where it was almost how to contractually manage subbies to reduce costs, right? But you almost you talked about setting up a structure there. Now the closeout team strikes me as such a obvious way for main contractors to manage subbies and really hurt them, right? You'd like to say it's to it's to save money. Is that something that you I've never been in a main contract. Is that something that you saw as par for the course? Like that's almost that is how we are going to save money. You have like almost the good guys for 90% of the job and then you bring in for the last 10% the main contractors. It happened to me a few times where they would come in and say, well, look, I have nothing. I don't know anything about this job. Tom, Dick and Harry left. So mm-hmm. I have to play this 100% by the book because I can't go on hearsay or stories or relationships. I only can go on what's written down. And guess what? There's nothing written down. So no variation, no 1.5 minute, which is basically what happened in this example, right? Beyond the obvious of always doing the right things. Mm-hmm. What should you do when a closeout team comes on? How do you recognize a closeout team coming onto your project? Well, okay, so what would happen is maybe at a certain level, there might have been a discussion about closeout teams coming in, right? But that's not not something I've ever seen, right? Exactly. We're, we're bringing in a closeout team that's designed it's stealthish. completely. Yeah, it's, it doesn't, like, you know, it sounds almost, you know... Um, dum, dum, yeah. dum, here they come. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> But it's not that you, in certain organizations, you'll have a guy that's really good at claiming costs back and saving the project. And then I that guy will Key be and Brennan back in the day. <laughs> and then that guy who's known will go, right, we're going to put you in there because we know you can save costs. <clears throat> and it's more to do with the overall project. The overall project is running over budget. We need to go in and save costs. And the view yeah. from their point of view is we need to save costs in a way that we were like, you know, everyone has a different perspective, like subcontractors are ripping us off. Main contractors are not paying us on time, right? So perspective yeah, is so we're coming on, we got to make sure that these main contractors are not taking advantage of us, which means that we, if they haven't complied with the contract, they shouldn't get paid. Mm-hmm. It means if they're, if they're back up for all of their invoices and payment applications and, and EOTs and change orders are not good enough, they shouldn't get approved. They just go very hard on the law, if that makes sense. But but you know what? And I think we're going to come full circle now. If you're a director at a main contractor and you're detached from the realities and the relationships of the job and you look at a job that's doing badly and you say to someone, we don't know what's going on on that job, but I trust you to go in and find out what's happening and just make sure everything is by the book, right? Mm-hmm. That main contractor close out QS or whoever goes in mm-hmm. and does exactly that. And at, at the end of the day, just values the account based on what the contract tells them to value the account. Now, it's not nice, and it's in the situation that you described, right? It's pretty savage. But if you are if you put yourself in the main contractor's 
perspective, right? And there's the you said, go and just value it by the contracts. That is all that closeout mean QS who we're describing is going to do. So let's come back now to the situation. What was the advice that you gave to your client? And what was the advice that you gave to your client for their next project? Okay, so I go, I go through the whole thing. Right? So what's the problem we're trying to solve? The problem here is you've you've just lost a million dollars, right? Out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah. right? And what's the reality of the situation is, right? The reality is, and we got to look at it from three different perspectives. Perspective one, what's your story? What happened, right? We know what their story is, I just told you, right? Mm. What's the client's story? So the client's going to say, well, you didn't comply with the contract. You didn't do this. You didn't do that, right? And contractually, where do you stand? So if you look at all three of those things, that allows you to make a, a determination of where we should go next, right? So if we look at those, your story, highly unfair, right? Mm. Like really unfair, unethical, key point, unethical. Second, their yeah. point of view, theoretically, they're right. And the contractually, you are stuffed, right? Basically. Is that genuinely the situation? When you looked at it, I know we talked about the headline, when you looked at it, yeah. did you think, oh God, we've got no legs to stand on here? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Really? Okay. So, so, so then we got to go. So that's, they're, they're the three assessments. It's not that we decided we've no legs to stand on. Contractually, there's no legs yeah. to stand on. Right. But levers, what different levers can we use? Right. And so the ones I like to use is, okay, a lot of the times who has the money is the, is, is a lever, right? Whoever has yeah. the money is the person that is in the stronger situation. Okay. In a, in a dispute. The next thing mm-hmm. is cash flow wise, where are you? Are you in a bad situation? Do you need to make a deal desperately or not? And then, then that last one is a relationship. How is your relationship with them? Can we leverage the relationship? Because all three of these, all of these things matter. And so with all of these things, it's like, okay, <clears throat> what they're trying to do here is they're giving you the worst case scenario to try and come in and have a settlement at the end of the day. Right? So we need to know that now that yeah. we're here, we're never getting the 1.1 million. We we gotta realize that that's the case. It's a race mm. to see now who loses the least amount of money. And so once you're gonna set expectations of that, is that we need to get as much of that 1.1 million back as possible. But let's realize that we're probably not gonna get it all back because we're gonna to have mm-hmm. to come to negotiation some at some stage. So what were the levers that we could pull? The only real lever we can pull is to if we're continuing because they they were engaged by a very well known. Uh, mining company okay that that's the okay. top of the food chain with very high ethical standards of subcontracting and contracting and again this is pretty weak because contractually they're not in a good position but we could very clearly demonstrate that they were specifically told to do this by the project manager yeah. and so while it contractually wasn't the right thing to do it could be seen as an instruction right yeah and so we demonstrate Unethically. Yeah. So we we really harped on the ethical standards of that company, the ethical standard of the owner of the of their project to contract on that. And then and what you, did you say? Sorry to interrupt. Did you say we're going to tell the client? What do you think the end client is going to make of this if we tell them? Yeah. Uh, yes, basically. Basically, okay. that that is that that was the strategy. Now, I don't think that is a very good strategy. That's like a, a scorched earth. Like you never really want to go above your client because it's going to ruin the relationship. Yeah. But if you're in a situation where the relationship's already ruined, we can, let's let's go to the client above. And so we we mm. came back with them, highlighted very very clearly that on multiple occasions we were instructed to do exactly what we did. 
it was approved, it was paid. And then always with these things, you need to let them save face. So let's have a meeting. Let's say uh, let's have a meeting and see if we can come up with an organization. Otherwise, we're going to the to the owner and we're going to show them exactly what's happening, right? And we're going yeah. to write a letter, blah blah blah. Came to the table, had a negotiation that they 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 came up with and resolved it, but they still lost. I I, I can't remember exactly what they lost, but they lost at least four hundred grand. And so savage situation, whichever way you look at it, it sounds like you managed your way out of it as best you could. I guess 400 grand hole leaves a lot of uh, angry and dejected people in your your client's organization. What were the takeaways from that? So the, the, the key takeaway is relationships and commercial. Should you be more relation should you value a relationship more? Or should you value being contractual or commercial more, right? Because the old way of looking at it, it's all about relationships. If I can, we can have a relationship and that's the way we used to do business. That's how we should do business now, mm-hmm. right? Then there's the, like kind of the new age stuff. And I, I'm not into this, right, where it's just contractual commercial like you're everyone's a everyone's a desk jockey everyone's sending letters over and back like the guy is sitting on different cabin like 10 minutes away and you've just written you spent half a day writing a letter right i don't agree with that stuff either but the bottom line is it's you need to do both right because relationships as i say go missing they go away it's Mm. not that you have a relationship or a bad relationship where you've rubbed someone up the wrong way that's one way it can go sad but the other way is they just go away and you don't see yeah. them again. You got to. I think it's a really good guy. way of putting it because you you know people don't perceive that, particularly on these bigger jobs. That and that's a really great way of defining it. They go away. It's not that you end up falling out. Mm-hmm. People over the course of a two year job, one year job, whatever that may, Dicky in this case, he's gonna he disappeared. He just went and got another job and left. Right. And yeah, what but- do you do if you've only relied on the relationship with Dicky if he goes? Exactly right. So so Dicky's been on a four year job. Right. A three year, let's say it's a four-year job. It's coming to the end of the four-year job. Dickie he's looking for another job. He's yeah. looking for another job. So he's probably yeah. gonna go, right? Because all of the problems happen in that last quarter of a construction <clears throat> project. When you're mm. like they're gonna offset that, that's the game. I promise you, if you listen to it, the game is we'll make up some big claim. You've got your final account and we'll offset it against your final account to try mm. and save some money, right? Which is pretty much yeah. what happened here at the end of the day, right? And so Okay, so when we when we look at relationships, relationships are important. Relationships can get you out of trouble. Relationships are great for referrals, for repeated work. Very, very true, right? But would you rather be sitting in a meeting in that final quarter of a construction project with all of your ducks in a row? You've known, like, let's just say this civil company, they've put, they've done all the notices, they've submitted all their variations the whole way through, they've done it the right mm-hmm. way, and they're sitting in that meeting having a discussion, right? Or having to do what we did yeah I, and just just one final thing on this point um mm-hmm. i guess the, maybe the piece of the puzzle that i'm missing slightly it from the context is so there was loads of events that mm-hmm. delayed this company loads of variations that delayed this company mm-hmm. and i'm guessing they i don't know we're recording it somewhere but never formalizing the submission like how was that because it basically got bundled right into this mm-hmm. 1.1 yep, million that's it yep how did it get bundled like where was it being recorded and what because it's almost like they should have said yeah we are bundling this but we're submitting it and we'll like we can put it into your bundle dicky if that's really what you want to do but i'm gonna like what were they not doing that they should have done 
to manage the relationship with him, but also manage the contract. Okay. Well, in that in that scenario, they shouldn't have bundled them all into one, right? That's because what's happened is for the contract will say for every change and for every delay, you need to submit a notice within two or three days or four days. If mm. you don't, then you, that that delay or that change is deemed to be on you, essentially. So they were and doing so it at the end of each month or something. They yeah. no, they never did it. They didn't do any of it. Really? Because the guy was like, don't do any of that stuff. He said, don't submit the notices. Because the, the process in every contract, more often than not, is you submit a notice within X, Y, Z days. And then after four or five more days, then you'll submit the variation change order or the EOT. That's the mm. process you have to follow. If you don't do that, you're not going to get paid. And yeah. so the project manager said, don't do any of that. Let's just, you know, you, you've got my emails to you. Let's just let's just get it all into one big variation that has all the things. And I know the things that all the different things that happened and I'll just approve it. That's what happened. I'm nervous. At the, I'm, the, just the thought of that makes me incredibly twitchy. It does. <laughs> but so, I can so, understand. Okay. Oh, it's, it's completely the wrong thing to have done without a doubt. Right. And so if you put all of your notices in uh, and this is anyone who's listening who's a subcontractor and I'm, I'm sure paul's blue in the face as well it's submit your notices the way to do it is you have tqs you have site instructions you have all of the stuff that needs to get submitted all of the time anyway because the contract says you need to do it notices are all, exactly the same the notice doesn't have to be from Kean to paul like a handwritten emotional note right it can be a memo Right, that says you can do that if you want, kid. I think yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> it. It can be a memo that just gets submitted into Doc Control. Doesn't matter, yeah. right? And then your EOT can be the same. It's just procedural. And then what you want is to build a body of evidence so that when you're in the fourth <coughs> quarter of a construction project, squeaky bum time, as Alex Ferguson would say, yeah, you're there. You're sitting there with all of this backup to say, hey, guys, look, I've submitted twenty notice of delays. You've changed the work but twenty different times. I agree. I agree. And so to finalize this, mm. what that company could have done, they recognize the opportunity in the relationship with Dickie mm -hmm. and they want to kind of serve that relationship because they think it could help them agree a 1.1 million variation. Mm -hmm. But in the background, someone lower level away from that relationship could still be submitting memos, notices, whatever to the org to their client, to the main contractor mm -hmm. and saying, these issues are happening. Dicky mm -hmm. almost, you can just say to him, well, we're going to do that anyway. And he, he knows about it. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go along with your approach. Is that how they should have done it? I think so. I I, I would have told Dicky that, hey, Dicky, look, the contract says we have, <laughs> we, have to, we have to do this. We'll do it. Like, if you will do it, we can then bundle all of the variations up into one variation. But we have to do these two things or else we're mm -hmm. deemed to not be compliant. Excellent. Okay, and I think that is more than enough of Dickie for the first half of the show. We will come <laughs> back right after this break. Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link, 
its software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you, or someone you know, tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So, Kian, we've put the world to rights, haven't we, already? I'm, I'm tired after, after the <laughs> first game. The second game we're going to come on to briefly, I guess, just going to uh, extra time on what you were saying before about on-account payments. Mm-hmm. So on-account payments are things that, you know, I will, I'll admit that when I was sub secondary subcontracting or sub-subcontracting, you know, sometimes... You think I haven't got the time to look at that variation this month for my subbies, pay something on account, just get through this month and we can discuss mm-hmm. it next month. Might then get to the next month and you, we'll kind of agree that. Like it almost rolls. And it's something that I completely understand from the person who is paying, you know, sometimes it's about time. But when I was the person getting on accounted for my mm-hmm. variations, I, I viewed it very differently. So talk to me about what you think contractors should do about on account payments if it's happening to them and this could be a main contractor with their client mm-hmm. or a subcontractor with their main contractor client what's your advice so i would love to have some revolutionary advice from you paul um <laughs> so in the front end there's going to be a clause about payment on account mm. and so negotiating it in or out right so here's here's what here's exactly what to do right so there's no fairy tale stuff about it, unfortunately. We've done, as a company at this stage, we've done more than 3,000 co- contract negotiations. And the payment on account clause, we cannot get it out, right? Everyone really? wants yeah. to have the ability to do that, right? Which so makes you, sense. Which makes sense, right? Because they're like, oh, no, I, exactly what you said, right? And then the other yeah. side of what you said <laughs> as well, the, the mean side of, of taking the money back, right? So the, it makes sense. But what you can do is, and I'm not going to say it like, what you can do is you can set up a criteria to take money back, right? Mm. You can say, all right, well, that's fine. But what I want you to do as part of this clause is one, uh, ideally, let's have a meeting to explain before before you take the money back, we need to have a meeting to explain Mm -hmm. what's happening and to agree. Okay, so you put a step in the process to make sure that they don't just whip the money back out. They, they have to yeah. sit down and have a chat to you. So one is you want to be notified. You want a, a document saying you're going. To, there's going to be a payment on account. Two is you want to sit down and have a meeting prior to it actually happening. And so the benefit of that is that more often than not, they mightn't do that. And then they've, they've not complied with the contract. And so now you're in a position of power where yeah. you can get the money back. You can say you've not complied with the contract. You need to get the money back. Still not great. But it still gives some barriers to entry for them to do it. But also, they have to sit down and talk to you and send you a letter. They have to do stuff before they do it. it just makes it a bit harder. The, the, the thing is, my experience with this, and I, I'm guessing this will resonate with a lot of people, is that what happens is application one, 12 month contract, right? Application one comes around. There's probably not many variations, whatever. Application two comes around. The relationship is still very good. And, you know, variation four, five, and six on account. And you say to them, hey, can we have a chat about variation four, five, and six? And they go, 
more yeah let's try and then it maybe doesn't quite happen in that mm-hmm. month and you think mm-hmm. right next month i've got to get that then you got seven eight and nine and mm-hmm. there's all of a sudden there's like multiple on account some agreed some not agreed mm-hmm. and it's quite a hard lever that you talked about right mm-hmm. to be like at that stage in the relationship i certainly felt this to be like I am talking about those variations right now. I need you to agree to them right now. I'm not having on account. It's a load of bull crap or like mm-hmm. really being, this is the, the the balance, right? Because if you don't do that, all of a sudden you're in month six and half the variation account is on account mm-hmm. and you're in no man's lands. Mm-hmm. But it's quite a difficult, it feels, I guess, like such a simple, like, oh, who cares? It's payment on account. Mm-hmm. Like It's like, it's not like them blocking you in a brutal way it's just tiny little chips away at your profitability is kind of how i view it so let's go back to me it's month three and it's the second time i've had payment on account and yeah they've agreed to variation meetings and they're kind of yeah yeah we're looking at it we're looking at it Mm -hmm. how how do i say i cannot have those variations on account i want certainty from you by month four how can i guarantee that because i often found i couldn't uh, well, assessment periods, uh, negotiating assessment periods into the contract in the front end, that is a potential mm. solution. But then there's there's always this hat. And so you've got some contracts people that just bash you over the head with the, with the contract, right? Here's a contract, here's a contract, here's a contract. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, those type of people are, they don't see business, Right. Because ultimately it's about putting money in people's pockets. Right. And doing Mm -hmm. the work. Right. So how can we use the contract to get us there? And so from a risk profile, whoever has the most money, whoever has the money in their account (laughs) is in a better position. So getting paid on account, you're actually in a good, better position because you got the money. Right. So you you can be you can be like, no, I'm not giving it back to you. Obviously, it it depends on how you manage it. And so how it's actually going to unravel is eventually they're going to offset it against another payment. That's how yeah, they're going to get exactly. their money back, right? So as you're going along... Keeping your sweet, keeping your sweet. Keeping your sweet. Then... You don't want to have a situation where your final payment claim is huge. You want to you want to backload that so your final payment application is small. So as you're mm. going as you're going by, you've gotten as much money into, uh, as you can, but your expenses are coming down. You stop spending money on yeah. on the project, so that you know when they try to offset it, then you're in a reasonable position because they can't offset that much money. Okay, that's yeah. kind of the game you would probably try. Yeah, that play. that that makes sense. One of the tactics I used to have was like almost line in the sand interim agreement so keeping it simple 12 month contracts what i would be saying month three is saying look if you in month two i'd say look if you want to do on account i appreciate everyone's busy but at the end of month three we will agree the entire account up to Mm -hmm. the end of month three wouldn't Mm -hmm. always be able to do it but like where you would really force or really try to force Mm -hmm. getting absolute clarity so that 90 percent of the first quarter was done or it's but it's it's really difficult and like we t- we're talking a lot here about almost like the perfect world, right? So I appreciate some people will be listening. And go, you don't know my client. He's a, mm. like she's really awkward or whatever. And we're kind of saying, no, you just do this and it'll be absolutely fine. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that because I know from my own experience that there are certain times where you just thought, oh, I almost have to let that slip, even though it doesn't feel right to protect the relationship. So it's a fine balance. But anyway, really, really interesting stuff. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about today, game number two. Mm-hmm. is 
On one of your shows recently, you were talking about the nominated subcontractor nightmare in construction. I found that quite a uh, funny phrase that you uh, put together. So first and foremost, what is a nominated subcontractor? So a nominated subcontractor is someone probably identified by the the top of the food chain, the client, the owner, that needs to be part of the project, right? So Mm -hmm. typically what happens is these guys tend to be a supplier from the local area. And so the owner who has gotten his permit or, you know, as a contingency to do the project has to use local people to do a job, right? So he's like, I have to use these guys or... Maybe it's some sort of native community or it's part of his obligation or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's his mate. It's a bit of granite or something that he likes or... Yeah, yeah. maybe he just wants, like, he. yeah, exactly. He has some personal preference. So it Mm. comes from the client typically and then that flows down the way. It's basically a subcontractor that or supplier typically it's actually a supplier but that needs to be used you have to use this guy so there you go that's the guy you need to use and so typically the way it works is they will give you a budget they'll say okay well here's a budget to use this guy and that's include that in your bid and then you have to go and use that guy and manage that cost Mm. and so we can look at this for once as if we're either we're both Main contractor or subcontractor, right? Let's imagine it's the same thing. So if you're a main contractor, you've been nominated as a subcontractor who have to procure. Mm. If you're a subcontractor, you've been nominated a supplier, granite or something, for example, right? Exactly. So if we if we imagine that, that's my my own experience of it was granite and marble and stuff like that. On, yes, on mine, was, mine was so, concrete. <laughs> okay, okay. Mine concrete was more supplier. glamorous. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, um, nice. But so when whoever you are main or subcontractor you pick up your tender let's start from tender stage because that's where it would come in mm-hmm. and it says you have to use this granite supplier or this mm-hmm. concrete supplier mm-hmm. what should you do let's go back and let's try and find out the problem that we're solving because that's important okay. right so the, the problem that we're solving is well sometimes it might just go you have to use this guy and they don't even give you a cost right and you're like oh mm. what's the, how much is this guy going to cost me what? right right <laughs> Um, and so some, and and that's actually, that's actually not so bad. I mean, cause then you can go and you can get that guy's price and you can include it in your price. Right. So you got, you get it and you understand the the issues, but in the the show that I did before with the nominated, uh, subcontractor nightmare, it was, um, it was a list and it, it said, you need to use this concrete supplier. This concrete supplier is local to the region. Everybody's using him. Um, and then therefore that's the guy we need to use. And it's like, fine. The, the budget for this guy is 300K, right? So I think it was like 30% of his of his project. He he had to go, like his project was a million, 30%. So it's 300K. He's like, fine, okay, grand, that's the cost. Wins the bid, goes to the supplier. Supplier says, yeah, you got to pay the 300K up front because we have so many companies <laughs> coming to us because everybody's using us for concrete. It's like a monopoly almost it's, in the region. Yeah, so, and you, gotta, you, got, you have to pay up front to, to, to get your slot. Because right? mm. if you don't buy your slot, you're not going to be able to get the concrete. Sounds like a good business, that concrete business. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, so anyway, but well, because there was a major project in that area, right? Mm. So supply and demand. So so now he's in a situation that he needs to fork out 300K before he's been paid a penny. Mm. And so that's going to cost him in finance that he didn't originally anticipate. Yeah. And that's that's a real difficulty. And that was that was the issue that happened in that scenario. And so what should he have done differently? What should they have done differently? 
So in that scenario, he should have went to the supplier, understood the payment terms, understood the obligations, and understand what that contractual arrangement is going to look like in the first. Because mm. he's going to have to have a contract with that guy. So they need to have basically gotten ahead of agreement. Here's what the contract's going to look like. Or in a supplier's you know point of view, you're probably going to sub- just sign their contract if it's a supplier, maybe. You need to understand exactly what the payment terms are. O- also, like... What's the payment duration? When do you have you need to, pay to procure them? it? Like you would procure you anything. Procure right? it. How long is it going to get? Like you, like you basically need to treat them as if you're, they're your supplier, essentially. Mm. I mean, there's an element of misproject management from from that client as well, but ultimately he ended up losing quite a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there was quite a lot of mismanagement, really. Just mm. like just accepting what the client was saying as yeah, three hundred grand gets the job done. Mm. To, my my experiences of nominated suppliers or subcontractors is slightly different in that it was less localized and it sounds like that one was you have to use this because this is the supplier that's closest for whatever reason blah 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 mine was often more like what you talked about before like the client just like oh i love that piece of marble from that specific quarry and it's Mm got to be shanksy black from like that's literally my experience now my experience with that was that it always said something along the lines of you must use Shanxi black granite from this quarry or approved similar or, or words to that effect, right? So almost always left the door slightly ajar. Mm-hmm. The thing I always used to find troubling about nominated subcontractors is that they knew that they were nominated because they would typically have gone through quite a detailed design process with the architect, with the design team to become embedded into the spec, right? So mm-hmm. they knew that. So always had the challenge of negotiating good terms, which is probably similar to what your concrete guy, the concrete guy knows it. And they th- say, give me the 300 grand up front or forget it. Right. Or you're mm-hmm. at the back of the queue. So it's, it, it, it ties in with that. So you would always have that, but number one, you need to go through a proper procurement process as if you were procuring them yourself. Right. Which is what you're saying. I had examples of where we would procure that granite and then we would try and get three or four alternatives as well where you could line them up and say to the client are you sure you want to use that specific granite when we've got these alternatives that could be cheaper or could be quicker and then you almost bought the client into them saying no i want to use that one that i love and it costs that like it almost makes them make that bad decision for the project because is how we framed it is like it's an extra 10 weeks if you do that are you sure you want to do that and they would still be like yeah i love that granite from that quarry and they did it so do you have any experiences around that what um what i mean what what you said there is is absolutely fantastic but that's great subcontractor management Hmm. a lot of times i think and we're talking it's it's about the tender period so you're kind of gonna have to go you don't even know if you've won the work at this stage so yeah. a lot of these guys, are you are you going to go and go and get these four different samples of, of these four different at pieces? Estimate of tender stage. At tender stage. So you're probably not. You're probably just going to go, okay, well, they said it's going to cost, in this scenario, 300 grand. So I'll put 300 grand on that line item and we'll go yeah. from there. That's it. So the extra phone call really is all we're saying. Have the phone call to understand the payment terms because the price, that line item is going to be that 300K for everybody. But if you can find the payment terms... And then as you progress in the tender and you, you start having tender meetings, then and you know you're getting closer, maybe you've, you're, you're all of a sudden technically qualified, you're having meetings, 
it's at that stage that we we I would suggest doing what what you're suggesting, which is it's almost a, yeah is a fabulous idea to be fair. Yeah, so it's almost what you're the the differentiation that you're making is almost between estimator and QS or tender stage and contract stage, right? Where I'm mm-hmm. talking about the process that I would go through to look at the options of drive value engineer or whatever as a QS. What you're explaining is the step the estimator at their stage is just saying, all right, yeah, it's 300 grand, whatever. That's 30% of the project. I don't even need to worry about it. That's fine. But actually, not knowing the terms of that agreement cost them dearly, right? Massively, massively. Um, and that the tender stage is, is actually so important. It's such a good negotiation tool as well. So um, I was, we've got a client that's been with us for about four years now, a big engineering company. I was chatting to their CEO and it's a huge company. And he says, one of the things he always does is regardless if it's the simplest bid going or, or whatever, he will call for a tender meeting to discuss stuff. And he goes, it's just to show face. He goes, the more contact points we can have with the client, the more information we're going to be able to get. But the more that they trust us, the more that they see my face. And it actually becomes a great marketing tool. So um, 100%. And when you go and and try and value engineer, they're like, oh, these guys have switched on. I'm like, for example, I don't know, did you win that project? But if they say, hey, you know, okay, I still want the same granite, but I like these guys because mm. they they gave me four different options of what well, yeah, yeah. reasonable option. I still went through granite, but if they apply that knowledge elsewhere, that's great. And it also gives you a chance to propose alternative solutions commercially as well, which I really like. So I'm uh, a big fan of our clients submitting alternative bids or getting to the stage where they're, they're having those tender talks and they say to the, the client, Instead of uh, just the way you've structured it now, what we'd like to propose is you pay us a down payment. The down payment is going to allow us to secure materials. Materials are really hard to get at the moment. Down payments are secure people. People are hard at the moment. We can definitely secure them. We're going to be able to deliver better for you. In exchange for that, we'll take 5% off the total cost of the project in exchange. So you're you're swapping total cost for for cash flow. And in the market that we're in now, that is that is a godsend. And if you're good at what you do and you got you got good contract management, you're gonna make up that margin on in change. Yeah, yeah. I you know, it's you've you've brought me full circle from how I started the show, right? Well, I was talking about that ultimate guide to subcontract procurement tendering ebook. Down go and have a look at it now in the podcast description. Cause what you've just described is from the subcontractor's perspective, right? Book that tender me. If you do that, it's marketing, right? You you can almost talk about the project, build that relationship, and yeah, oh, that is a subby I, I want to work with. I think that works the other way as well. So I think that the main contractor should be saying, not just slapping out a tender, should be saying, I want to meet you on day X mm-hmm. uh, for a mid-tender meeting or whatever, because mm-hmm. the main contractor should, by the same token, be marketing their project to make the subcontractor think, oh, this is a project I they seem like a really good bunch of guys. I really want to work with them. Let's really come up with some good value engineering for our next meeting or for our mm-hmm. submission. It just smooths that whole circle. And too much is hands off, I, I feel. And that is partly because of, you know, like the fractured na- nature of relationships almost in construction, you know, that contractual mm. negativity. But if you actually get people around the table, you will have a much better process. And that's one of the five steps that we talk about in that book. Uh, I, I absolutely love that. There's another reason as well, and make it like kind of more um, present day. <clears throat> like right now, there's lots of main contractors going out of business. There's lots of subbies mm. going out of business, right? So the yeah. industry has definitely shifted in the wrong way, right? Obviously for, for everyone involved. 
And so uh, cost of materials going up, can't get people. Um, the cost of credit is going up. So costs are, are going up everywhere. It's harder to deliver. It's harder to deliver on, mm. on, on time and on schedule. That's probably the reason I would suggest people are going out of business. But as part of that, now people are concerned about, well, if you're so if you're a, a main contractor looking at a subcontractor, okay, price is important, right? But I'm concerned, very concerned now, can you actually do the work for me? And yeah. so getting you into a room to establish, well, is this the type of company that I can trust to actually finish the work? That's really important. And same for the subbies. Like, can these guys actually pay me? Are they, are they like, are they dodgy? Have 100%. they got like, you know? And then if you have that relationship, you can figure out those things. It's, it's worth the, you know what, what, Paul, really good analogy. Before we got mm -hmm. on, on this on this call, we talked about hiring processes. And you said that, you, you know, you've implemented a really good hiring process into your business, which is actually quite extensive. Like loads of 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 hiring because it's going to make it hard right. to get in, and ultimately you they respect you more and you get a better person. This yeah. is the same thing, I think. This is have more meetings, right? Don't necessarily if you're a subcontractor, you don't have to say yes. You can say no to people if their terms are too yeah. hard. Say no because right now the risk is too high. The risk of something if you got that access of you know your your perceived likelihood of not perceived likelihood the likelihood of risk taking place in the consequence of the risk taking place yeah. that whole matrix the consequences are are, are are of course the same they're you know depending on on that but the likelihood of them happening have gone up yeah and so take that into account because it really really does matter yeah i could i completely and utterly agree with you and it has been another phenomenal show even if i do say so myself and i think you know we both got experiences that we tap into we both got quite a similar mentality on how things play out so i hope that those two games there have been illuminating uh, to our listeners. Kian, I am almost definitely going to invite you back onto the show very, very soon because I really enjoyed that. Thank you for your time. I'll leave all of Kian's details in the podcast description. And yeah, nice one, mate. Take it easy, Paul. Chat to you soon. Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. Take care.